Jaren Cacophony tells you that you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, where three lifelong Doctor Who fans, and I'll introduce them to you shortly, discuss, enthuse, and occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. That might be televised adventures, both classic and recent. It could be spin-off novels, books about the show, biographies, magazines, basically anything that gives us the excuse to talk about Doctor Who. So to introduce my co-conspirators, say hello, Davey. Hello, everyone. David here. Kenny. Hello, I'm Kenny, I'm the original, and I've not been reconstructed. Which brings us to... We're looking at reconstructions this week, and it's very appropriate that this particular week uh, we were able to see this. This is Mark Coy, Special Security Service reporting from the planet Kemble. The Daleks are planning the complete destruction of our galaxy. Fire! Together with the forces of the outer galaxies, a war force is being assembled. Whoever receives this message must relay the information to Earth immediately. It, it is vital. I remember now. Must, must kill. Well, the only place in the universe where Vargas grow naturally is the Daleks' own planet, Scarrow. The Vargas are here. The Daleks are too. Kenny. Tell us what TARDISFANDOM.COM says about Mission to the Unknown. It tells us that Mission to the Unknown was the second serial of season three of Doctor Who. It's the only Doctor Who television story not to feature the Doctor, any of their companions or the TARDIS. This story was also notable for being the only one-part serial of the classic era. It was recorded with Galaxy 4 as part of the series' second recording block. It was a single episode prologue to the Daleks' master plan and was the last episode of Doctor Who for which Verity Lambert served as producer. Though the episode, as of 2019, is missing from the BBC archives. It was reconstructed in an animated format through a private project led by fan Ian Levine. The story was also carefully recreated by students, graduates and staff at the University of Central Lancashire and was released on YouTube on the 9th of October 2019 with original production values of the 60s. And it's that reconstruction we're talking about. David, what did you think about it? I just I thought it was excellent. It's, it's, you couldn't pick any fault with it at all. The, um, the cast were all amazing, um, in particular. The chap who played um, Marco, originally played by Edward D'Souza. Um, Marco Simeone, I believe his name is, the, 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 the chap who played him this time. He was phenomenal. He had that real sort of early mid 60s sort of BBC received pronunciation yeah. thing going on you know it felt it, the word I would the word I would in a word authentic that's exactly the word I was thinking it's, it feels that you, you mean you just look at the sets you can tell it's been recorded in a studio look at the plants in the background obviously they've hired a load of them in for the day and there's a few plastic ones in between it just looks amazing the set design feels right and look at the inside of the spaceship it looks like it's been a bunch of props that have been hired in for the day that probably appeared in an episode of The Prisoner or will appear in an episode of The Prisoner, Danger Man and Shows of the Time. It's beautifully done. One of the concerns I had was that because they're students, uh, the, the characters might look a bit younger than they were supposed to have been in 1965. 
But actually, they, 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 they just pulled it off. They didn't look particularly young or too young to, to play those roles. As you say, the received pronunciation was fantastic because it was the BBC, you know, they weren't, yeah. re- they weren't trying to reproduce a space opera, they were trying to reproduce an episode, a 1960s episode of a, of, of a fairly cheaply pr- produced television show. And they just nailed it. It was just fun. And, and another thing is, I was glad they didn't make it colour. Because when you see the, the screenshots advertising it, they're all in colour. Right. And at first I thought, oh, they've, they've done it in colour, that'll be interesting. And I was so glad they did it, not just black and white, but the kind of black and white they had in the 60s. And also the picture aspect as well was the 4 by 3 rather than uh, the 16 by 9 we're used to. And I think that added to the authenticity of it. And yes, the, the cameras they must have used will have been pretty much period ones, I'd imagine, because the picture quality is good, but it's not too good, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they, they might have been, that's something that they probably, I'd imagine they might have done in post-production, downgrade or whatever, but it's, have you, I mean, have you seen, have you, either of you watched or seen any of the, the behind the scenes? I haven't as like, yet, I plan to. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a little, there was a little preamble when it was first being recorded, and obviously there was some report, you know, coverage of it in Doctor Who magazine, and, and, I think the sets that they probably they used probably weren't that different in size from the ones that were used in the first place. I mean, the, the word you maybe think of as well is maybe, is maybe intimate, because especially the scenes inside the spaceship, you know, inside the rocket, mm-hmm. the, um, it's, it was spot on, and it's, it kind of made me want to dig out the old um, loose cannon reconstruction of Dalek Masterplan and just get stuck straight in and just kind of, you know, I really wanted to know what happened next. Absolutely agree. I think there's that... I want to see what I want to see the rest of it, which is something. I think when you watch telly snaps, sometimes you think, "Yep, really enjoyed that. That's good. I'm off to bed now, or whatever." But watching that, it just made me think, "Yep, I want to see the rest of it." And it was the same when they found the episode of Galaxy Four a few years ago. Watch that and just think, "Oh, I want to see what happens yeah. next." Yeah. The, um, well, I was. I mean, I was just going to say, it's inevitably there's going to be some speculation about will they do any more. And the obvious, the reason is probably, e- you know, is easy the right word? <clears throat> well, e- easier for them to do this one, obviously, because it's, as Kenny said in the introduction, it's the one, it's the only episode, never to feature the original, you know, the regular cast. So, um, you know, people will be speculating, are they going to do any more? And you know, it'd be hard to do that unless you know they get, you know, they vote David Bradley in or whatever. Maybe, perhaps, I don't know. But it was. It was um, you know, when I when I went to when I went to college many many years ago, I went to to read Kerr and, and Paisley. You know, I can't read and I don't care. The, um, <laughs> I did, I did, did the, the media studies course there, and, and we knocked up a, a Doctor Who thing as part of the video production. You know, we ran around a quarry and Barhead for for an afternoon, um, many years ago, and and that was great fun. But it's it's the sort of th- was that a reproduction of something, or was it no, your own original we, um, story? We 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 based it on a story that was in one of the the Marvel Doctor Who yearbooks. Right. Because um, it was quite, because it could quite easily have been shot in a quarry, and it's it's the sort of thing that. Um, sorry, I sort of interrupt again, Davy. Not at all. Who played the doctor? <laughs> Who do you think? That <laughs> <laughs> was. But was there anybody uh, on your course, Dave, who may have ever ended up in TV? Oh, doctor, oh, you know, it's funny you should say that, Kerry. Yeah, <laughs> because and this is the baffling thing, and I didn't even realise at the time. But um, what was the character called? And Kenny's got a really good memory. Colony you know, Sarf. Colony Sarf. Colony Sarf, who um, was in, no, was it The Magician's Apprentice? The, the yes. Which is familiar at the start of PCAP Seconds. The series. snake guy. The, the guy that was made out of snakes. I mean, I remember at the time, like, you know, as not the biggest fan of a lot of them off at Method, but sitting there going, that guy's made out of snakes. And it wasn't until 
he was interviewed in Doctor Who magazine a few months later that I realised that he'd actually been on my media studies course at Reed Care in the early 90s. Now Jamie wasn't, he wasn't there for the whole time, he wasn't, he'd gone by the time that we actually, you know, made our little short film for the video production module in the last block. But it was, it was really quite, it was like, hang on, <laughs> I know him. I bought some Green Lantern comics off him, but no. <laughs> but yeah, it's, so trying to get, getting back to the, the sort of labour point that I'm making, it's um, it's a neat, quite an easy story for a for a student sort of as a student project, because you know it's a minimal cast, it's minimal sets, and obviously they, they had a lot of help because you know Nicholas Briggs was you know was there doing Dalek voices and all that, and again that adds to the authenticity. I mean, it's difficult not to just go over the score and just say it was it about how good it was because they obviously understood the, the limitations that the original cast would have had and I think they used that as a strength because obviously as a student group they're not going to have an awful lot of money to spend on props and sets and what have you and the claustrophobia of that episode you know when the the SSS agents are kind of you know they've, they've realised what's going on the Daleks are there they've got to get that message but, and when, you know, when, when, um, when Mark gets shot it's like oh no and they caught all of that perfectly it didn't feel like you were if you know um, there's no way in, in heck that I'm going to let Kenny and Tom watch my college video project because I you know I can't even be in the same room as it challenge but, accepted but this <laughs> this one was phenomenal what was it called we didn't even have a title it was what there was it was based on the if anyone's remotely interested we'll call it your book cutaway yeah it was based on the fifth doctor story that was in the first marvel yearbook published in 1991 so there you go i think the original was maybe written by stephen gallagher but i could be wrong but whereas i would not want to show that to anyone the the guys making this new version of Mission to Unknown, they absolutely succeeded. It's, it's terrific. Now, of course, you mentioned reconstructions. We've recently had the Dad's Army reconstruction shown on gold. I still call it UK gold. Um, and they were so well done as well. Beautifully reconstructed, going with the original sets. And it does start to raise the question, could it be done? And indeed, should it be done? Tom, could you watch them? I certainly would watch them. I think it probably won't be done because... Um, you know the the potential audience is pretty limited. The reason uh, Dad's Army and I agree with you, it was a brilliant reconstruction and done very affectionately and carefully, and cast really well. But the reason that was in UK Gold and not the BBC is because they understood that the audience is is pretty now even for something like Dad's Army, which is still shown every week and has still got a big audience. The reconstructions I don't think are ever going to set the heather alight, and 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 sadly I think we're going to have to. Admit that even you know a reconstruction of the Dalek Master Plan or the Myth Makers or whatever, even Episode Four of the Death Planet, I, I just don't see someone in commercial operations at the BBC saying yes, this is worth the investment. It's, that's an, that's interesting because I think if I was being honest and I, if if I was asked and I was being honest, I would prefer you know budgets not being a, a measure or whatever or the amount of money involved to to make them. I'd be a lot more interested in seeing a live-action reconstruction of something well-cast and well-played rather than another animation, if I was being honest. It's interesting how animations kind of become the default for Doctor Who reconstructions recently, you know? I thought in the run-up to the 50th anniversary, and I did suggest this to a friend who was involved in the production at the time, that... <laughs> clang. What they sh no, I'm not clang at all. <laughs> um, what would be a great idea would be to take seven classic adventures from the first from the seven you know the original run and remake a whole adventure as a 45 minute special recasting everybody with special effects with modern production standards 
rewriting the script, even changing the plot, it doesn't matter. But you know, what would, for example, Power of the Daleks look like if it was made in 2013 instead of in 1966? Uh, you know, and I thought that would be a really interesting thing to hook people into what, yeah. to the heritage of the show. Absolutely, I mean, and they could do some ridiculous stunt casting and cast seven amazing actors as the Doctor. Exactly. Um, you know, go crazy and get you know pop stars and soap stars. That'd be that'd be great fun. It actually reminds me of my feeling at the time was kind of wishing that the the fiftieth anniversary episode would have been shown in four episodes of twenty five minutes. You know, that's what, what I would kind of hope for. But yeah, that'd be ace. I um, I quite like that idea, although they did do a remake of some bits of Power of the Daleks. I think it was right at the end for Victory of the Daleks, but they were ultimately never used. Oh, really? That's interesting. That. So not available in any DVD extras? No, I don't think they are. I could be wrong. If you know better, please write in, email in. Really? That's, that's cool. That's going to keep me awake now. That's fascinating. Let's talk about the narrative a little bit, because, of course, Mission Thunderdome was the preview, if you like, a taster for the epic 12 episode the Daleks master plan. Kenny? I think it's really, really cleverly done. We've got the Daleks running about, no Doctor whatsoever, and you're thinking, what on earth is going on? Obviously, with hindsight, we know what exactly is going on, but the fact that it concludes with next episode, Temple of Secrets, you're thinking, oh great, here we go, there'll be some interesting Daleks in there, and the Doctor will find out what's going on. And then we don't, we're in Troy, and there's no Daleks whatsoever. So I think it's a fantastic prelude to something that was absolutely epic, possibly the most epic Doctor Who story of all time ever. Why did they do that? It was just a tease, pure and simple, a curtain raiser. There's been a lot of kerfuffle in recent years in certain fan circles about the proper titles of Doctor Who stories, and Mission Theory known as was originally apparently called Dalek Cutaway. So season three starts with Galaxy 4. Then you get Mission to the Unknown, and then it's four episodes of the Trojan War, and then the big epic Dalek story. So it, in those days, it was it was still very much, and this is one of these um, one of these sort of hills that I'll die on. It it was very much a, a serial adventure. It was week by week. It wasn't the Galaxy Four episode one. It wasn't Dalek Master Plan episode three, episode four. It was which is why um, my I always make the argument that Katarina doesn't count as a companion because she's oh, a, a supporting character in the serial drama. Controversy. Um, but we'll come back to that at one point, I'm sure. Um, so, watch. I think it would be far more jarring nowadays if they did something similar, because every, in those days in the sixties, every episode had an individual title. You didn't. You, the story lengths vary between three and six episodes. You know, sometimes two episodes. You didn't know how long the story was going to run for. So, I think it would have been less jarring at the time than it would maybe seem nowadays if we were watching a series and let and. You know, there was no sign of Bradley and Jodie in episode two or whatever, and then other people were involved, and then you know it got it goes back to the regular cast and they in the next episode. I think at the time it wouldn't have been quite as jarring, but at the same time I'm sure audiences audiences would have been going right. Well, what about the Daleks? And it seeded so well because obviously the Doctor Stephen gets injured and Troy, and then you know they end up in Kemble and they find a tape and so on. I also think it's quite just following up what you're saying about the serial nature of it. It's very much along the lines of the Flash Gordon classic serials. From America, the Buck Rogers sure. with the Buster Crab. You've got the different setting every week. Obviously, there's some recurring characters, and it's got that whole epic jumping around the place feel where nothing's ever the same until obviously it comes to the conclusion later on in Master Plan. But I think it's, as a setup, it definitely has the the American classic series feel, which I absolutely love. Of course, even even back then, Mission to the Unknown 
It was made as part of the same block as Galaxy 4 and didn't even get its own production code, hence being given serial T stroke A. Right. I didn't realise that. There is a shadow of that sort of thing, you know, Dave was saying about, uh, you know, having a, a taster and not following through in the next episode. You kind of get that nowadays, like when, when in Matt Smith's first adventure, which we, we looked at a couple of episodes ago, the crack in, in the wall. Now that played a part in his first story, but it also played a part in the the next three seasons, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And it was kind of not exactly the same thing, but it was a, a sort of taster for adventures and, and challenges to come. The one thing I want to talk about, and, and we all have our favourite, if only, moments when it comes to Doctor Who. My favourite and most regretted, if only, moment uh, was the loss of... Maureen O'Brien from the show at the end of Mythmakers because I just loved her as 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 Vicky. I thought she was terrific, and I I think sometimes the BBC treated actors who played companions incredibly badly, and they did in, yeah. in her case. I look at the end of Mission to the Unknown and think, well, if we had gone straight into Dalek's master plan after that, at least you know Vicky would still be on board. Yeah, I mean that's the um that's the horrifying thought though. If you think you know. Would they have killed Vicky off in episode four of Master Plan? Would it have been her that ends up? Well, they wouldn't, would they? Because the reason they killed Katrina off is because she was from ancient Rome and she didn't have a clue what a, f- a plane was, let yeah. alone a time a plug, space. you're going yeah. to say. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure I've read something that indicated that when Master Plan was being scripted, Vicky's character was still being used. But it's it's interesting, you know, a defining sort of moment for people of my, you know, fans of my age, many Kenny's age, you know, was the death of Adric. It would have been absolutely horrible if they killed Vicky because she's such a warm, funny character. Maureen is tremendous. Um, she still is, obviously. You know, so the among the stories she does for Big Finish are amongst my favourites the last few years. I think if they if they killed Vicky off, it would have been horrible. Yeah, but it's um yeah. backing up what, what was saying earlier on about not thinking of Katrina as a proper companion. She's a supporting character in the serial drama who's there to fulfil a function to get killed off in episode four to show to kind of heighten the stakes because you think because she's gone into the ship at the end of um. Um, was it the last episode of the Mythmakers? I can't remember the title. Don't, it's not it, it was going to be called Is There a Doctor in the Horse? It's not Death of a Spy. Is it not? Um, small, small Profit, Big Return. Quick, small Profit, Quick Return. Was that episode two? I don't know. Well, anyway, that's episode two. Anyway, whatever the writing entails, what the last episode of the Mythmakers is, if um, you know, Katrina goes with them, so you think, and this is, you know, she's going to be the new companion that she could be there forever, but then she dies like four episodes later. No, I'm, I'm quite I sure they intended for her oh, yeah. to be. No, no, I think they intended for her to be the main companion. Really? I, I think they, after a couple of episodes, they suddenly realised the difficulty they were going to have with somebody from that period in time, and they mm-hmm. thought, let's just kill her off, and that suited their purpose at the time. But getting rid of Vicky and then replacing her with Katrina, clearly that was the plan. I mean, yes. I, I don't think you could say they got rid of Vicky. In order to kill somebody off, I think I just don't, I just don't buy that. I think right. I think they changed their mind about her. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I mean, there's probably a paper trail somewhere that, that would yeah. tell us. I mean, the, the the other question I'd ask you both then is, do you count, do you count Sarah Kingdom as a companion? That's the big one. Yeah, but I think the fact that she's such an interesting character, um, and the fact she she was always intended to be short term. I mean, you're talking about Jean Marsh. She's obviously. Yeah, Somebody who's an actress of profile mm. and stature and obviously then married to John Pertwee. Um, I do counter, actually, in a way that I, and with Katerina, I, I don't. Which I, I think um, 
I think because she's there, she does a hell of a lot. She fulfills her function well. She's an interesting character. The fact there's an interesting bit of character backstory, the fact that Brett Vion was my brother, and all, all that kind of stuff. It's quite, um, I think there's something interesting I there. always thought it was odd that Sarah Kingdom's brother was Brett Vion. Does that mean that she married and her husband's somebody kingdom? It must be. Was he not... Did she not have a, she not have a brother in, in something, one of the spin-off movies called David Kingdom or something? That was... I think that was the, 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 the Dalek Annuals. Right. Get, get, getting back to Mission to Unknown, we were... I was watching it with my wife, Carolyn, and about ten minutes in, she said, when's the Doctor arriving? <laughs> um, and, and, and I had to explain this. I think it is the only episode ever produced that doesn't have the, the Doctor in it. Um, and it doesn't need the Doctor, although it's, it's, it's very funny that in the, fin in the credits, even to the reconstruction, it says William Hartnell plays Doctor Who before it gives into the new cast, which I thought was a nice, a, a very nice touch. I think these guys should be congratulated. I, I, um, I was amazed by it. I, I was so pleased that they had treated it with respect and sensitivity and love. These are guys who obviously love the show and they, they love the heritage of the show. And if you haven't watched it already, go into YouTube, go into the BBC Doctor Who channel and watch it. You will be very impressed. Especially with uh, Malfus' Scouse accent for his last few scenes. Which is brilliant. <laughs> All aliens should have Scouse accents. Hey, calm down. <laughs> with the arrival of our ally Malfa, we are enough. The meeting can now begin. No, it can't. What is wrong? There is a hostile presence among us. What do you mean? On arrival here, I am told that there are hostile influences from the solar system among us. <laughs> Not among us. Then here on the planet Kembo. Some beings have landed from the planet Earth. Hostile beings from the center of the solar system. But do not worry, their spaceship has been destroyed. What about the beings? They cannot escape. At this moment, they are being hunted down. They will be destroyed. Are you sure? They cannot get away. Suppose they send a message throughout this universe. They will not have time. If they do not die by our Varga bloods, my patrols will kill them. They will be exterminated. Exterminated! Before we go on to the next item to discuss, I want to remind you to please subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you like us, leave a review. If you don't like us, do not leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at PowerOf3Pod. That's three as a number power of three pod we also have a facebook page where you can leave comments suggestions and of course listen to episodes of this podcast i'll repeat those details towards the end of the episode next in our special looking at doctor who reconstructions is this one owen chadwick who owen chadwick yes one of the greatest laborers in the history of earth of course yes newton of course oh definitely newton for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's right. So Newton invented punting. Oh, yes. There's no limit to Isaac's genius. Isn't it wonderful how something so primitive can be so... Graceful? No, simple. 
You just push in one direction, the boat goes in the other. Oh, I do love the spring. All the leaves, colours. It's October. I thought you said we were coming here for May week. I did. May week in June. I'm confused. So was the TARDIS. <laughs> oh, I do love the autumn. All the leaves, the colours. And this is what TARDISFANDOM.com says about Shadow. Shadow was the intended final story of season 17 of Doctor Who. It was to be the final story written by Douglas Adams for the series, the final six-part episode until Dreamland, and the, and the last story to feature Graham Williams as producer, as John Nathan Turner would take over after this until the end of the series run in 1989. However, a combination of rampant inflation in Britain and union strikes halted production partway through filming. The story would become infamous for its incomplete nature and would lead to several attempts to create stories using the unpublished material. It was the basis for Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, a non-Doctor Who book published by Adams in 1987 that was the start of the Dirk Gently book series. The parts of the story that were filmed were retained and John Nathan Turner was able to reuse them later in two notable ways. In 1983, a few clips of the show were integrated into The Five Doctors when Tom Baker proved unavailable for filming. Later in 1992, the existing footage was integrated with some new linking narration by Baker. Finally, in 2017, a completed cut was released, including animations of missing scenes narrated by the original actors and even some newly filmed scenes. Kenny, Shada, tell me yes. about Shada. I have always had a very soft spot for Shada, or as I think most of us would say, Shada! Thank you to the VHS version of the story for that one. I wouldn't say that. That's because you're not a proper fan, Tom. I just call it Shada. Yeah. Well, you're both completely yeah. wrong. Shada is one of the stories I quite enjoy watching. I, I put it on uh, quite often just for a bit of easy background viewing. Uh, if I'm wanting something that's light and fun, it's uh, never quite the most serious of stories. Um, I mean, Let's be honest, something that begins with the Doctor and Romana punting on the cam is just superb. It looks glorious. Um, but I've, going back, I find that it's a story that should have been completed. I think, uh, obviously, JNT had his own ideas on how the series should go. But given that all the sets had been built and props had been made, and surely when he was given the money for two extra episodes in season 18, Perhaps he could have reused, you know, gone back and done something completed Shadow. That's always been my opinion. Um, and they could have used that as a special, perhaps before season 18 began. So it would have been a, a perfect bridge between eras. Um, but the animated version is one that I rather enjoy. I'm slightly surprised, I remember on first viewing, to find that it had been given a pre-credit sequence when the first scene with all the scientists having their brains drained by Skagra appeared before the credits. That was a bit of a surprise, the fact it was actually one long virtual movie, which definitely wasn't something I was expecting, as I was expecting a six-episode edited story, yeah. as I think most of us probably uh -huh. were at the yeah. time. And something that I was slightly surprised at watching the animated version was the fact that they didn't do vocal recasts, which I think quite... you could. I think they could have pulled it off, because I think you're, the characters who you're looking really to revoice would be Professor Cronotis. And it's Dennis Carey has got 
a voice that I think there's an awful lot of vocal inflections there that could have been, perhaps could have been recast. Um, for example, Nicholas Pegg, who does quite a lot of Big Finish stuff, he does an old man voice that I think actually is fairly close to how he would have sounded. And in the end, the only new material in terms of audio was actually a line that Dennis gave in Keeper of Tracken that they lifted. But one of my favourite things was something I'd been I'd thought for years ago when JMT did his version of the VHS release that they should have had, obviously they had the, the prop for the Krag in the days when it was complete uh, in, the, in the Museum of the Moving Image, MOMI, where they recorded the intro and they could have got the K9 prop and just positioned him in, a, in an, any old corridor to recreate a few scenes that were never recorded. So when it came to watching this new version, that was fantastic when you've got K9 blasting the Krag's legs. And then of course we get the glorious final scene when we get the Doctor under the TARDIS console, something goes wrong and all of a sudden he's an old man. I think it's absolutely beautifully done and it's, it's quite heartwarming as well, particularly when you get that famous toothy grin from Tom Baker back in the costume. In to the, camera. To camera especially um, in his old console room. I think that is just such a beautiful touch that I, if I'd been in charge of it, I would never have thought of getting him in to do the scene actually in person and that was a complete surprise on first watching and absolutely loved it. So I'm, I mean, I'm a big Douglas Adams fan I mean, I can see the flaws in this story. It's it's very flawed and very padded, but because it's done with such style and elan, and it's got my favourite Doctor and Companion TV pairing, I can forgive it for a hell of a loss. Davey, what do you think? I remember when The Five Doctors was on, <clears throat> and I don't think at that time I was aware that Shadow existed you know at all had been had been you know attempted and abandoned so it was quite i remember it was it was interesting seeing the doctor and romana and that little scene on the, on the boat and then the, the funny scene at the end when his scarf gets caught in the door it, it was terrific so it was um I, I think it was either that christmas or the year after when i got doctor who celebration and i found out what shada actually was so like, like a lot of people I, my first proper exposure to it would have been the, the 1992 vhs um which i remember i watched a lot very, very funny, and something else that I'm, I'm quite fond of it for. Um, the mid 90s, a couple of my friends moved down to Cambridge, and they still live in that area now. And um, the first I went down to visit them quite a few times, and obviously the first thing, practically the first thing I did when I got there, um, the first time I went down was we wandered around all the locations, and um, you know, wandered in the corridors and had a look around the college where they, they filmed the external scenes, and that was only. See the scary thing is it's longer now since my first visit to Cambridge than it had been since my since Shadows attempted and you know my first visit to Cambridge. It's a funny story because it's it's I mean it's it's the tail end it's the fag end of the Douglas Adams Graham Williams era. There are some good jokes. Um, Tom B and, B C Tom and Lala just sort of um they could do it in their sleep at that point I think kind of I would like to count it as canon for whatever that means but I'm not sure if I ever do. There's room in it. There's room in for it there but the um. Do you think there's a tendency among fans to a approach missing episodes and episodes that have been canned, uh, you know, because of writer strike or whatever, um, and to treat those episodes with more reverence than they deserve just because they were never made or yeah. because they were interrupted by industrial action, or whatever? I mean, I like the story. I think it's a good story. I I, I was quite engaged by it. And I did find it funny in parts, 
it was it was not any better than anything else from that particular season. And I just think it's, it, it's in fact, Baker in the 1992 VHS version kind of makes a joke about the missing episode and the kind of how, how people talk about it as if it's something really important when he does the whole Shada. Shada! <laughs> we should get that as a, as a, I should get that as my uh, ringtone. Or a text, text message alert. Yeah. Your unique text message alert. I have the TARDIS landing bleep. No, so that's a really interesting point because what if, for example, they hadn't made Shadow last? What if the Horns of Naimon had been the one that they hadn't finished? Would we have 15 different versions of the Horns of Naimon by now? You know, would Big Finish have done it? Would Gareth Roberts have novelised it? Would they have got Paul McGann to do it for the 40th anniversary? You know, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think you're right. I think Shadow, a lot more fuss is made about it than I think would have been made if it had been completed. Definitely. I think it's built up its own mythos, hasn't it? It's become, it has, it's almost a mystique around it. You know, people think it was going to be this glorious, fantastic finale and conclusion to the Graham Williams era. I mean, it does look as if it's had a lot of money spent on it with all the location filming. And you've got Tom and Lala in top form. You can tell that they're a couple who are obviously getting on very well on and off camera. And it's, I think it's just, it's fun. And I think the fact that there's you know, interesting sets around it, the concept of the brain drain, quite literally, Douglas Adams taking what was happening in current concerns at the time with all the, the best of British thinkers going abroad and then having them nabbed by Skagra into the sphere. I think he's so well played as well. Um, I think he's, in fact, he shows up later in a Bond film as well, Christopher Neem. Christopher Neem, who also, let's not forget, played on Johnny Alucard in oh, one of my favourite movies, Dracula, Dracula AD 1972. He's a brilliant actor. Was he not in um, Secret Army as well? He was indeed. Yeah, he's terrific. And the fact he's gone on to have such a stellar career, and but I think he's now based in the States. Could he look any more camp with that hat? <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. I think that's as done for Shada. But Tom... Just before you go on, oh, for crying out loud. Oh, I'd just like to let you know that um, before she passed away, my mum's mum was actually quite interested in American music and putting words together. So for a while in my life, I had Rhyme and the Granny. going to go back in time to the very beginning. We want to do a science fiction serial. Legitimate stuff though. No tin robots or BEMs. BEMs? Bug-eyed monsters. You know, mutations and death rays and brains in a glass jar, that kind of crap. It's going to run all year long. So, good looking guy, good looking gal, a kid who gets herself into all kinds of trouble, plus an older man, quirky. I'll come back to him. The travel about space and time, getting into scrapes. That's a lovely idea. You know me. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> we want history, too. Proper history. The kids at home should learn something. And what about the other man, the quirky character? He's a doctor. A doctor? Mm-hmm. He should be a doctor, don't you think? Makes him an authority figure. So I kind of reassure Davy, tell us what TARDISFandom.com says about an adventure in space and time. 
Adventures, an adventure in space and time released in 2013 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who was a docudrama largely about William Hartnell's era as the first Doctor. Though marketed as the story of how Doctor Who was made, it was in fact much more of a limited biopic, giving much of its screen time to an investigation of Hartnell's portrayal of the Doctor. Because the script dealt with the entirety of Hartnell's reign in the programme and ended with the regeneration of the 10th planet, Verity Lambert's struggles to produce the programme, though strongly featured, were a subplot. The show was a labour of love by writer and executive producer Mark Gatiss, who had been trying to make it since before the 40th anniversary in 2003. That's very opinionated. I well, who, who'd have thought that a TARDIS, that a Doctor Who yeah. fan site would be opinionated? I, I watched it, you know, I watched it again last night, and it's as much Verity's story as it is Hartnell's story, isn't it? Yes, I think that's true. That's but probably slightly more Hartnell's story. Yeah. What's funny, I've mentioned in a previous episode to how my older brother Kenny... Uh, oldest brother, so I've got two older brothers, and Kenny was a big Doctor Who fan and never came to terms with William Hartnell leaving the show. Never could accept any other actor playing the role. And we watched An Adventure in Space and Time like was on a couple of days, I think, before the actual 50th anniversary. Yeah. And as the credits rolled, the phone went, and it was my brother Kenny. I said, that was brilliant. <laughs> he said, that just was Hartnell. He said, it's the first time he'd watched anything really enthusiastically sure. since, well, since 1966. Yeah. That, that's lovely. It was a good endorsement. I just loved this. It was an obvious thing to do. To, you know, to, because Coronation Street did it, various other shows have done a kind of drama about how the show was created. And it was always, that was always going to be part of the 50th anniversary celebrations. David Bradley's casting was genius. And, and what's remarkable is that when Hartnell was given the, the job, I think he was, what, 55? Mm -hmm. And Bradley, when he played him in 2013, he was in his 70s, I think. Yeah, yeah. But, but just, I remember writing an article about this around about the time, talking and using that as a hook to write about how life expectancy is so much greater now than even 50 years ago. And people got old quicker. In those days. Now, of course, Hartnell had his own health problems as well, but the fact is, people did look older in those days. You, you see programmes now, you know, made in the 1940s and 50s, and they talk about young people. And you look at these young people in the show, and they look in their 40s. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was great casting, um, terrific script. I thought Gatiss really just knocked it out of the park. Uh, and, and the reason I wanted to use it in this episode of, of Power of Three, uh, talking about reconstructions, is because of the reconstruction of the Daleks, of the Cybermen in Tenth yeah. Planet, the one having a fag in between, <laughs> yeah. in between takes. Yeah. Um, I actually think that the Cybies in that look a lot better than the ones that we later got on TV in the official show with uh, in Twice Upon a Time. Mm -hmm. I just think that that one is, it looks far more authentic. Um, Maybe that's just me, but maybe because maybe they haven't, you can make them look too authentic for a modern TV audience. Whereas that one, you could get away with it because they're only in it briefly. In the run up to the celebrations of the 50th anniversary, I got a phone call from a Labour Party contact, and I can't even remember how remote this contact was. But anyway, I got a phone call saying there's a bloke in Tradeston who owns a factory and he's making Daleks and Tardises. And if you want to go over and have a look at them, then here's his phone number. And I, on a Sunday afternoon, I phoned him up and I explained who I was. I was an MP at the time. And I said, yeah, yeah, come over. And I said, can I bring my son? So the three of us went over to, and finally found this factory. And it was 
wonderful. It was on Aladdin's cave, and the Daleks were the for the recreations of the Westminster Bridge shot. Oh, really? With the you know the Ford Blue. Uh, what do we call them? The the, the, the Bullcocks. Bullcocks on Dalek the Daleks. Bumps. Yeah. The Dalek bumps. <laughs> and he had two. I prefer Bullcocks. He had three, two or three Tardises uh, um, that he was making. He actually said to me, I'll make one for you if you want. And he told me how much they would cost. And I said, ah, maybe some other time. Should have put it in expenses, Tom. That's a great idea. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> go with your duck pond that we're looking at just now. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So that was a lot. I've got some photographs yeah, actually. Oh, I mean, I'll, put yeah, on the, I'll put it on the Facebook page. Yes. Also, when you mentioned that, Tom, you, I remember you let me know at the time and put me in touch with the chap who was Paul McNamara, who was building the Daleks. Um, and I went in and did a piece for the Daily Record and the East Kilbride News. I forgot about that. And it turned out that um, Paul actually lives about a street and a half away from me. So I quite often see him at Morrison's these days and we have a wee chat. But the thing, I took my Katie along, Katie was only six or seven at the time. And she was all excited, like, yeah, I'm going to see some Daleks. So we went into the workshop you know, and we went round the corner and literally, as you went round, you could see the sucker stick sticking out. And then you walk around a wee bit more and there they were, four Daleks, two complete, two incomplete. And Katie just screamed. <laughs> and Paul was so delighted that his Daleks had terrified this poor wee thing. And she was actually having nightmares for the next oh, couple that's of weeks. terrible. That's excellent. Katie, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> exactly. Daleks conquer and destroy. The thing that I wanted to say about Adventure Space and Time was, um, you know, I've, I've said before and... and Tom and I raised eyebrows at each other at this song. Hart was my favourite doctor. And for a long time I felt that he's he wasn't really given the credit or the, the kudos or the respect that he sort of deserved. There's a slight sort of I think a slight sort of whitewashing of history that a lot of the perception of now is he was an old guy who got his lines wrong all the time. And you know, if you consider the, the circumstances that the programme was made in, you know, they didn't have the time to go back and reshoot scenes if they were, you know the rehearsal time was minimal, all that sort of stuff. You know, he was we know we know he was ill. Um so I was I was glad that this this film exists just because it, it was so respectful towards Bill. It was so just showed so much love for him. It was um you know and watching it again in preparation it was I was just sort of struck by just you know I, you know I don't think they had a lot of money to make this but you know it's 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 wonderful. I mean, the the real sense of the BBC, and in fact, London and Britain, if you like, in the sixties, is just is so well achieved. You know, the scenes of you know Verity in a private life outside and enjoying the party with, with Jacqueline Hill. Some of it's you know, some of it uses what's you know the sort of convention anecdotes that we've heard from people like Caroline Ford and and what have you is, and they you know, they were turned into real scenes. You know, like when Bill was chiding Caroline for having spent money on on clothes and stuff. So it was really interesting seeing all that. It's it's um. And and the one thing I'd forgotten about before I watched it, I'd forgotten about the scene when Matt Smith pops up. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. A friend of mine who who likes the show is not a huge fan, but he he watched this, and he didn't understand that scene at all when when Matt Smith appears at the console of the TARDIS as Hartnell's preparing to film his last ever scene. That was the only scene in the whole show that I shed a tear at. I was so moved by mm -hmm. that. I th mm -hmm. that just got me. That surprised me because I thought, reason. you know. Here is an old man looking... Obviously, in real life, he didn't realise this show had such a future. Okay. But for the fans watching it, for the first Doctor to be looking at the current Doctor, for the current Doctor to look at him, and, that, and, and of course, Smith did it so well, this knowing, affectionate, yeah. understanding look that he gave him. 
I'm welling up as I speak about I'm it. Getting it's just getting a tingle. I'm getting, I'm getting a tingle, tingle up my spine. It is, well, yeah. it is, for me, the outstanding scene of the whole thing. Oh, there we I go. That's, was, a comp- that's a genuine shot. The guys have just seen it there. It is yeah. just oh. it's just fantastic. Yeah. Did you not like it? Oh, I loved it. That's what Absolutely. Say, it was wonderful. I mean, it was such an exciting period that week because, um, you know, there was all the anticipation for the 50th anniversary episode on the Saturday. The radio times with all the different doctors had come on and... That, you know, I remember leaving for work an hour early so that I could try and get around as many shops as possible to try and get them all. And it was my friend Clive who eventually got me the David Tennant one and Clyde Banks. That was the only one I couldn't find. Dave, they're not Pokemon. You don't have um, to catch them. No, but it was nice. And um, but I remember, I say the anticipation was huge because I remember the um, was it the same day that adventure was adventure space and time was it the Tuesday or the Thursday something Thursday, like that? Thursday. Thursday. I, I think it was Thursday. I think it was the same day that um, Paul McGann's Night of the Doctor story was sort of released it was an exciting week wasn't it it was crazy <laughs> and you know i remember really really clearly um just i mean i i can't even be cynical about the after party because the whole there was the the atmosphere the whole the whole week was just so exciting i remember very clearly i think it was johnny morris tweeting when the after party was on um is it only half 11 it feels like three o'clock in the morning <laughs> you know the whole week it was just and one of and as it was the 50th anniversary it was really nice that they gave bill hartnell so much sort of respect and you know, and reverence. Yeah. You know, at, at the time when they were they were cele- you know they were ce- celebrating how far the program had come. I particularly liked the line that uh, we get when Hartnell's told that he's going when he gets to say I don't want to go. Yeah. Which I thought that's so nice and knowing it makes absolutely no. There's no issue with it whatsoever if you're a casual viewer, but if you're a fan, of course you know what that means, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is really nice. Yeah. And some other things I particularly liked um, was the use of television centre. You'd never know yes. that at that point it had been decommissioned and was about to be sold off to be redeveloped for property. Um, and, and it was, of course, the last drama to actually be shot there in mm-hmm. any form, uh, which I thought was really nicely done. You know, the use of the offices, the address, you could actually imagine the whole place stinking of cigarette smoke and the walls being browned and having almost that like mustard coloured carpets around the place as well. Um, but of course, one of my favourite things is actually on the DVD or Blu-ray and you get to look at the extras and there's the scene reconstructions, which I think are really, really, really nicely done. There's, there's so many really, so that's how much I enjoyed them. Um, particularly the, the one for, and a Merry Christmas to all of you at home from David Bradley doing it several times. And he appears to be playing it more and more drunk each time he does it. I think they're really, really nicely done. It's a pity, or maybe it's not a pity, actually, I can't make up my mind about this, but there were plans for it to end with the reunion at the Three Doctors and yeah. with Mark Gatiss playing mm. Pertwee. I'm kind of glad they didn't do that. Really. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm in two minds about it. I love Mark Gatiss, I think he's brilliant, he's a really nice guy. Um, but And I love Jonesy as well, but I think that might have over-egged the pudding a little bit. Well, Rhys Shearsmith brought in to play Patrick Troughton was obviously too young, I think. And and wasn't a Doctor Who fan at all, and that doesn't matter because you don't cast people, yeah. um, based on whether the fans or not. But I, I, it was probably just a wee a step, a wee bit too far to have Rhys Shearsmith as Patrick Troughton, to have Gatiss as John Pertwee is maybe slightly more believable. I don't know, but maybe it's better the way they ended it. Yeah, it's um, who who else would you have would you have cast? I mean, I'm, this, I'm not putting this is not me trying to put you in the spot and say that I disagree with you. It's, it's like I think as as Pertwee, you mean? No, no, as as, 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 oh, as, as Trouton. I mean, you could argue cool. there's a bit of job, you know, the old BBC nepotism again, yeah. maybe. But I, th- I thought I thought Reese was fine, but it's it's interesting. I'm not sure who else. I'm not sure who else who else could have who's a, who could have done it. Maybe one of his sons could have done Steve it. Steve Pemberton. 
Steve Pemberton. No, mm. to the wrong shape. Oh, yeah. you think I'm talking that these guys are all in league with each other? God. Oh, <laughs> we walked right into that, Tom, didn't we? And on that note, can I just remind listeners that if you enjoy this uh, podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review. Follow us on Twitter, the Power of Three Pod. That's three as a number, Power of Three Pod. And visit our Facebook page. So from me, Tom Harris, it's goodbye. From me, Kenny, it's Shada. Goodbye. And from me, David, it's um, it's goodbye and take care and a Merry Christmas to all of you at home. <laughs>